0: Welcome to Episode 5 of Escher Livreire, a podcast about Moshe Feinstein and the art of Psach. We're discussing specifically the um, term Efshar uh which, which raises issues of when you may decide, even though you don't have all the evidence, that's possible, when you must not or at least should not decide until you have all the evidence, and when you must decide even though you don't have all the evidence. I'm going to begin this episode with a brief uh, abstract summary of what we learned from the five true vote done in the four previous episodes. So here we go. Um, one kind of case is where you have enough evidence if it were all the evidence to be mivar to decide what actually happened that is say you, you can establish something like um, a preponderance a, a, a robe, um as to what happened so in those circumstances if you have enough ev- if you if, if you, there were no more evidence to get this would be enough to be mivar to decide what happened so then the following rules apply if the um, the 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 what you've established so far, we've been um leaves a mut hamatzuy, leaves some kind of significant minority of cases in which what you've established is not true. Um, however you define mut five percent, ten percent, fifteen percent, depending which shita, in which case you're talking about. So then there remains an isur rabbanan, a, a rabbinic prohibition against acting without checking. Right. So for example, a shotness checking. If you have a suit and you've established by um, halachic means. Um, that there is a ninety-five percent chance that this suit doesn't contain shotness. If you think five percent is still a miut hamatsui, then you are not allowed to wear the suit without uh, without checking. However, if you have established it to the point that there is not even a miut hamatsui, but there remains a possibility a miut, but uh, not an infinitesimal one, um, but also one that doesn't raise, rise to that level. Uh, so then there is no isur in proceeding, but there is a rabbinic obligation. To find out everything you can, um, to be Mavara, to continue being Mavara to the uh, to the extent possible. However, that um, assaydra, I don't know if you want to call that, positive obligation can easily be overridden. It can be overridden because it's too much bother, uh, let's say, like checking the small organs of a uh, of a bird, uh, or because it costs a lot. Um, and right, so those are cases where those are cases where you may decide, even you don't have all the evidence, if the continuing investigation would be expensive or uh, or troublesome, and you're only dealing with the chashash. And if the uh, in continuing to investigate in, su- in such a circumstance would lead to a delay in a woman's capacity to remarry, uh, sort of Moshe calls it igun, and then he says it's not only that you have the option of deciding, but that you must decide. It's forbidden for you to say, "I need to wait for uh, for further evidence." Uh, however, all those cases where it can be pushed aside, right, where you have the option of making a decision even though, even though you don't have all the evidence, uh, that applies only to when we look at it as saying you could still further investigate, but you can't deliberately say when the evidence is in front of you, I won't look at it because I want to make the decision now. A reverse example is you can't um, deliberately hire somebody who doesn't know what to look for to open chickens, so they won't even see if Say major organs are missing or obviously, uh, or obviously damaged when they um, when they open the chicken. Okay, so that's our general case. If you if the evidence you have would be enough if it were all the evidence, then if there's a mira motzi left, you have an iser drabbanon. You have to check. If there's only a cheshash left, then there's an asay to check even though there's no iser. Uh, that assay can be overridden by um, by tircha or by cost. It must be overridden when the cost is igun, um, but it doesn't entitle. But even Tirach and don't entitle you to deliberately look away from evidence as opposed to stopping to investigate further. Uh, however, the motion is if um, you actually, there isn't enough evidence to decide at all, all you could say is that as of now you have a Suffolk, but if you investigate, you have a doubt, you don't know what happened, but if you investigate further, you might be able to uh, clarify it. So the question is, can you now count that halachically as a doubt and you know, you apply it in mechanical rules like Sveik and things like that? So Rav Moshe says, no, it's at least possible that when you have a doubt uh, that is out of a, that is what we call Machmat chesro Yediyah, that is out of a lack of information and you could obtain that information. It doesn't even count as a uh, as a suffix. you have to treat it um, you know as if the most the more stringent possibility uh, is actually is actually true so right so the the whole rule all the rules that say that uh, that that you don't have to be Mavar to the extent possible only apply when you already have a halachic determination when you don't have you don't have a halachic determination what you have is' a, an absence of evidence so then you have to keep investigating until you have a determination Okay, so that brings us to uh, this week's two trivots. Um This week's two trivots both deal with, I might say, leniencies arising out of an intermarriage. Um, so we'll talk about what that means. In Ezer, Chelik um, uh, Bet uh, Semenyud, uh, tribute written in 5723 to Rabbi on Goldsweig of Montreal, uh, Rabbi Moshe addresses a question of a woman who comes to, presumably to Montreal uh, from London uh, and wants to, uh, to get an, a, a, a sure that she. That she can marry. Uh, so she states that she was married twice in England, but both marriages were to non-Jews, and therefore she does not need to produce evidence of the gift because halachically she is un, uh, she is unmarried. The question is whether we're, whether one, ha- uh, one says, this, well, she says she was married, and now right, so therefore we should require proof that um, that her marriages did not in any way make her ineligible to remarry. So Ramosha says that uh, all women begin life. With the presumption, uh, what he calls a cheskat pneye, a presumption that they are unmarried. And that presumption continues until something happens to change it. Now, in this case, nothing has happened to change it because, from a halachic perspective, the woman says, I was born not married and I'm still not married and I was never married. Right? The fact that something else happened, um, which is not halachically uh, Kedushin, does not undermine that chazaka. And the revolution says, since we're dealing with a chazaka, we're, just, we're dealing with a presumption based on a natural condition. So it doesn't matter that she intermarried and that might damage her credibility because the reason we believe her is not because she's credible. The reason we believe her is because they're, uh, right, we're not actually believing her. We're just stating is that we look at her and say, well, there's no reason to think she's married. So she is not married. Uh, she was never married. Um, so therefore, um, right, it's certainly clear that uh, we have enough evidence Rav Moshe says, right, right the, the presumption, which counts as evidence, to make the decision if that were the only if that were all the evidence available. But the question is well, maybe you should still send a message to England to find out uh, who her husbands were. that's right that, that should be findable out and then established uh, by means other than chazaka, um, that verify the Khazaka and make sure that the first two husbands were in fact, um, not Jewish. So Moshe's answer to this is, Masha He says, even though I think that if there were no evidence uh, available, if she came from a you know, from a culture where, uh, which had simply vanished, and so there was no way to verify uh, who right who uh, who her her husbands were, uh, then that would be fine. But nonetheless, now right, he says you have to investigate. Um, and therefore he says you did a really good thing. Uh, right, affidavit that he made her sign a, a declaration that her prior husbands were not Jewish under penalty of, of perjury and therefore he says since you've done everything that is in your capacity to uh, to clarify to, to clarify so you can write you can um, perform condition for her because you've done everything you can so the um, all right so now the the um, that Ramosha says on condition that she's going to keep Nida, and that's a whole right, halachic issue going on, uh, the extent to whether it's a mitzvah or not to perform conditions for people, or whether it's lifting either, to perform conditions for a couple that won't keep Nida, that is not our issue. Um, our issue here, whether Ramosha held that position consistently or not. Um, so, the question we have is based on rules we set up, we set out previously, so, okay, um, is right, there's a chazakah, that's sufficient to establish it. Is there a mir that of people who set themselves, who declare themselves to be non-Jews or actually Jewish? Uh, unlikely, if the women have, is there a mir of women who were actually married to Jews and come and, and admit being married, but claim that their husbands were non-Jews? Probably not. So we're just dealing with chashash. So we're dealing with chashash, so then we say, you know, then really it should be quite a bother to, uh, to investigate. So why should you have to investigate? And secondly, it's delaying her remarriage. So, um, so that should be right. So that should also override it. So why does it sit with our rules? Uh, so the answer I think here is um, that first of all, here are, that the cases of Moshe said that you don't have to investigate when there's a tircha. Those are talking about when the consumer themselves uh, when the consumer itself, themselves had to, had to, had to investigate. Uh, but here we're dealing with the question whether the Beitin has to investigate and maybe the Beitin has a higher duty of uh, clarifying everything possible than a private individual. That makes a lot of sense uh, to me. Um, so then the only question is whether we would consider this Egun. Uh, in that case, Rav said that even the Beitin is not allowed to, uh, to further investigate. So the answer is in this case, Rav didn't say send a message to England, right? He could have done that. But he says is you've done everything you can do be, um, by having the woman sign an affidavit under penalty of perjury. So that does not involve a delay at all. It just imposes a duty an additional obligation on the woman, which takes no time. And that's really to fulfill the Bezin's obligation. So I think that we can add in that new rule for Moshe that for a Bezin specifically, um, the standard of, right, the Bezin can even impose a Tircha that doesn't uh, involve time. Uh, maybe it doesn't all delay in marriage, m- not clear whether the Bezin could impose it, a duty of investigation on a party that um, that costs money. But, um, but just the bother, the baiting can impose. Um, and in this case, there's no contradiction to the Egon Shiva because the woman's marriage is not all delayed by having her signed an affidavit. Okay, so that's case number one. Uh, case number two, this is Evan Ezer Gimel Aleph, uh, written in 5727, through of Mordechai Gifter, the uh, Reshiva of Tells. Um, and the question is, you have a, uh, a marriage that um, broke up and the wife went off and remarried civilly a non-Jew, and now the husband wants a hetamayr rabbanim, he wants a permission to uh, commit bigamy um, in violation of the cherem devena And Chaver says that um, he thinks you don't even need Meir rabbanim for that case. Again, this is a wholly separate topic. When Ramosha thinks you need mayr uh, rabbanim, when he thinks you don't, uh, but he says something really very important. Uh, I think it's a it's both a morally and a pragmatically uh, critical point. Moshe says, even when you don't require to allow the husband to remarry, you have to write a get and you have to give the get uh, as a presumptive good to the woman. Um, because that way, if she eventually marries a Jew, then we don't have to worry about her children being mamzerim. So even if you don't want to do it for her, but it's good for the Jewish people that children not be among Uh, And in general, Moshe sets out an an ongoing principle, I think all the way through his trivot, that whenever you allow, you can't allow a husband to remarry without ensuring that the wife has a concomitant uh, capacity to remarry um, so you do everything possible you try to give get the get if you uh, if you fail to give the get then you do a get zikui. and when you're worried that a get zikui doesn't work whether because of the famous position of the rift that it doesn't work until she acquires it uh, or because you're worried that it isn't actually a Swiss in that case so you also have to hold the get in escrow uh, until the um, until the woman agrees to uh, to pick it up uh, this is not really on our point of actual very but i think it's a really important point of emotion like i mentioned now that motion really makes it absolute principle as far as i can tell you cannot uh, that whenever you're going to free a, a to free a husband to remarry you have to simultaneously ensure that the wife will not be left in aguna and unable to and unable to remarry um and that is an ongoing problem of the uh, rogue batidin who don't follow of moshe on this and free uh free husbands to remarry without uh, freeing the wives and thereby leave them uh, horribly vulnerable. Um, okay, then um, Ramosha says, okay, the second issue is well, how do we know that she remarried non jew So he says, So he says, okay, so now the reason that you can allow the husband to remarry is that if the wife has remarried and we presume that she slept with someone else voluntarily, therefore, so she's now forbidden to the husband, and Ramosha thinks that the decree doesn't apply. Um, two cases where the wife is now forbidden to the husband. although again, he makes the moral point that it doesn't mean you can just allow their husband to remarry. you have to ensure that he allows the wife to remarry at the same time. So the question is how do you know? The says that if the husband can produce a, uh, a marriage right, a marriage registry, showing that the wife is remarried, that's sufficient because we have a presumption that if they were formally married, says that they uh, right, had intimate relations with the person in a way that would create a prohibition. Uh, on, the, on the original husband, right? She committed adultery. The um, <laughs> attack He says, ah, but what if they broke up already? And so now you have to worry, maybe the marriage uh, was never consummated. Um, so he says, <laughs> so You can still rely on the court said that they were married, and that, and the fact that they were that they were married creates the presumption, even if they are not currently married. Um, Okay, as opposed to evidence of, you know, which, which is where uh, Batidin are often stuck in much worse situations where there is no marriage contract, there's just cohabitation. So we're not going to get into that issue now uh, at all. Um, so he says, right, um, but, um, he says, but you know, whether they're still married or not, so he's telling you, look, I think if they were once married, even you know, if they're now separated, that would be enough. But you could find out if they're still married. So he says. So if whether she's still, I think I'm reading this correctly. The grammar is a little complicated. Uh, if she's still the um, the wife of the the wife of the non-Jew, this is something that you can verify by investigation without any tircha, without need without any bother. So he says, look, I don't think this is necessary at all. I think we have enough uh, enough evidence, uh, and you don't really need to investigate it further. So why don't we need to investigate it further? Uh, maybe it's not even a he thinks because it's an absolute truth. Uh, think that the fact that he thinks it really makes no um, probative difference whether she's still married or not because the point, the reason for the hetter for the husband is not that she is married but that she was married. Nonetheless, he says, right, even though I don't see any need for this, since it's possible to um, it's possible to verify why why not investigate. Uh, okay, so he I why not investigate? The reason not to investigate is that it delays the husband's hetter. So the answer I think is that since the get has to be done anyway, uh, he doesn't think this kind of investigation will delay the husband's remarriage uh, at all. Or maybe he thinks that since this is a case where the husband is married, uh, it's just a question of allowing a second wife, so he doesn't think that this counts as iguna de gavra, uh, that this counts as uh, imprisoning the uh, as imprisoning the husband, so that he doesn't mind a minor delay in the husband's capacity uh, to remarry. Okay, thank you, and we'll see you for episode six.